the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to Plan Your Estate Radio with your host, San Jose Estate Planning Attorney Bob Bergman. Bob's been practicing law for over 30 years and is certified by the State Bar of California as a legal specialist in estate planning trust and probate law. Bob is here to help you set your house in order with valuable insights you can use today to prepare a better tomorrow for your loved ones. And now, your host for Plan Your Estate Radio, Attorney Bob Bergman. Good afternoon, Bay Area. This is your host, Estate Planning Attorney Bob Bergman, down uh, broadcasting to you from San Jose, California. <clears throat> I spent the whole morning up in San Mateo County in the courthouse there, uh, working on getting a number of petitions filed. The uh, Those of you who've been listening for a while know that I have a very extensive practice involving uh, filing petitions in the court <clears throat> to deal with two types of issues that actually come up uh, pretty commonly dealing with trusts. Uh, one of them has to do with uh, taking steps to get property into a trust after someone has died where the property was not properly uh, properly titled in the trust ownership in the first place. Um, that's called a Hegstat petition. And then the other type of petition involves going to court to modify an existing trust uh, to make some changes to it that may be more beneficial to a family than the terms of the original trust itself. So I had uh, four matters that I filed this morning up in San Mateo County, and uh, all four of them were what we call Hegstat petitions, and two of them actually involved properties that are in escrow, which means that uh, property was already sold, it's at a title company, and they're not able to actually close the escrow until they get this court order. So I have two court orders going out by FedEx today that should get to the title companies on Tuesday morning. Excuse me. Get to the title companies on Monday morning, and then they will be able to close those escrows. Sorry about that noise there. I actually I actually hit the springs on the uh, boom arm that I have in my office here, trying it out for the first time, having the microphone actually just in the air in front of me instead of sitting on a mic stand. And I find it uh, it's a lot more freeing to not have a stand in front of me. I can actually put things down on the uh, the desk in front of me and refer to them much more easily. So, um, continuing on with my usual practice with this show, I am going to go through questions and comments from around the state of California. You can always call in if you have a question you'd like to ask on the air. The number is 800-516-1220. That's 800-516-1220. Or you could email me directly at radio at lawbob.com. That's radio at lawbob, L-A-W-B-O-B dot com. I'll be happy to take your questions that way as well. 
So we'll start first with a question out of San Francisco. And this person is asking, what happens if a living trust has an executor but no successor trustee? Well, let's start first by saying living trusts do not have a job called executor. Executor is the person named in somebody's will. Um, They're called upon to execute the will through the court system. A trust would have a trustee. So I'm assuming what's being asked here is, what if a living trust has a trustee but no successor trustee, nobody named to take over from the original trustee? Well, the short answer is no problem at all as long as the existing trustee is alive and mentally capable and also willing to act as the trustee. But if no successor trustee is named, this is where having a well-drafted trust can really come in handy. And what I'm referring to there is a trust that gives provisions in it that talks about the alternate ways to actually have a successor trustee put in place. Uh, It could be done if the trust provides. It could be someone appointed by the existing trustee. That's something I often do in the trust that I draft. It could also then be a majority of the income beneficiaries of the trust being uh, being able to have the authority to appoint a successor trustee to take over. You could have someone called a trust protector who is someone outside of the trust who is not a trustee, not a successor trustee, and not a beneficiary of the trust, but typically an independent third party, such as an attorney or a CPA, or maybe a group, uh, a family group of family members who are not involved as beneficiaries. And the trust protector can often be given the authority to replace a trustee and put a new trustee in place. Then the other alternative, which is the least favorable one, is go to court, petition the court to have a successor trustee appointed. That is the takes the longest time. It's the most expensive. And it also means that now the trust itself becomes part of the court record, because, which means it becomes a public record for anyone who wants to look at it. A lot of people do living trusts because they do not want to have their private financial affairs and distribution plans and wishes made public through the probate process, because that's what happens in probate. If you have a will, all of your wishes are put in the public record and anyone can take a look at it. Um, if you don't have a will, you go through the probate process and then everyone finds out just uh, who your heirs are and how much they're receiving and all those kinds of things. So if there's no successor trustee and you need a successor trustee, you have to look at the trust first to see whether or not it gives various alternative ways that you can put a successor trustee in place. In the absence of that, the only real thing that can be done is to go to court, which is time-consuming and expensive. And I certainly don't recommend that people do that if they can avoid it completely. Uh, and, and I drafted such ways to avoid things. All right. If both my parents die in California without a will, who gets their estate? If my parents die without a will in California, would my two sisters and I automatically inherit their property and estate 
currently valued at about $8 million. Well, the short answer is that eventually the heirs of the parents, that would be the two sisters and the person acting, would inherit the property. But if there's no will and there's no trust, then they have to go through the probate process. And it's possible that there will be two probates, one for the first parent that died, because then maybe everything went to the surviving parent, um, and but that may not be automatic. And then certainly a probate for the second parent to die. And depending on where they are in California, that could take um, anywhere from maybe six months or so, um, six months or so to a year or more uh, to get that taken care of. But eventually the heirs, the two children, or in this case the three children, would inherit from the parents because they would be what's called the intestate heirs. Intestate means you died without a last will and testament. So we're coming up on the first break of the show today. If you would like to call in, it's 800-516-1220. When I come back after the break, I'm going to have an announcement about my practice that may be of interest. If you've been considering coming in to see me, you will be very interested in the announcement I have about my practice after the break. But uh, we're going to the first commercial break of the show today. When we come back, I will be continuing with more Plan Your Estate Radio. This is your host, estate planning attorney Bob Bergman in San Jose, California. And I will talk with you after the break, just waiting for my outgo music to come in so that I know we're heading to commercial. This is Plan Your Estate Radio with San Jose estate planning attorney Bob Bergman on AM 1220 KDOW. Well, welcome back. Before the break, I indicated I was going to have an announcement about my uh, practice. And um, I'm going to make that announcement now. Because Because of a massive increase in my petition practice, where that is becoming the 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 bulk of what I do as an attorney now, and because of having um, um, an almost overwhelming amount of new business coming in on the estate planning aspect of my practice, which is doing the foundational planning, such as living trust, powers of attorneys, things like that, I have decided that effective November 1st, and until further notice, I will not be taking on any new estate planning clients um, in order to do to do estate planning drafting for them. I will take on clients from uh, referred by existing clients as of November 1. I will continue assist people who have contacted me before November 1 and uh, indicate that they'd like to do planning and they at least uh, talk with me or indicate their desire to do that. And I'll continue working with existing clients to update their plans and make um, changes and modifications to plans that I've already done. 
But because my petition practice is becoming very extensive and is taking the bulk of my time, I need to cut back seriously on new estate planning business, foundational business. So I'm still going to stay on the air. I'm still going to share information with you. I'm still available to do any of the petition work that you might need. If you need a Hegstat petition or if you need a trust modification petition, um, I will still be doing that. But I am not actively going to be seeking new foundational estate planning business after November 1st. Now that could change in the future. Um, I may decide, I, I may expand my staff. I may bring a new attorney in to assist me. I may bring a paralegal in to assist me. Right now I have neither. And if I do that, then I may expand my practice and start bringing that kind of work back in again. But for now, if you have been sitting on the fence about working with me or asking me to assist you with doing your planning, now is the time to contact me because uh, as of November 1st, if you contact me, the likely result will be that I will refer you to another attorney uh, here in the Santa Clara Valley. I have two or three attorneys that I think do a very, very good job, and I would likely refer you on to one of them to assist you because, as I indicated, I will not be taking on any new business in the estate planning area after November 1st unless it's existing clients referring to me uh, or doing work for existing clients. Um, as part of that, I am no longer a participating attorney with the legal service plans that I have been part of for several years, which are part of employee benefits plans through companies such as Apple and Cisco and Hewlett Packard and others. Um, I have resigned as a providing attorney member from those plans and I will no longer be taking referrals of employees uh, who have those benefit plans at their companies. So um, so that's the other thing uh, to let you know. The, some, of, some of you may know that I have offered that in the past but I'm not doing that um, anymore. I've officially withdrawn from doing that kind of work. So let's move on with some more questions and comments from around the state of California. And uh, let's see. All right, let's see. How does one set up a living trust if they also have a spendthrift trust? So the, the majority of an adult person's money and condo is in a spendthrift trust with me as the trustee. And that's separate from the money they earn at their full-time job and their personal savings, 401k plan, etc., etc. This spendthrift trust was set up by a decedent. So someone died, left property in trust for someone who's an adult, put somebody else in charge of it, and it's a spendthrift trust, which means that it's designed to limit distributions from the trust to the beneficiary of the trust and not give them complete unfettered access to the assets left in trust for them. Uh, it's designed to protect those assets from creditors' claims and, and similar things that could come against the person who is the beneficiary of the trust. So now the question is, 
it appears, can this trust beneficiary create their own living trust, and will that in some way interfere with the spendthrift trust? Well, the answer to that question is no. If this beneficiary has their own assets, maybe uh, their own home, their own bank accounts, their own brokerage accounts, their own personal savings, everything else, they can do planning for their own assets. In fact, this is probably the most common situation that I set up um, in the estate plans that I draft. The parents leave property to their children in trust rather than outright. It's what I call the castle trust. If you've been listening for a while, you've heard me talk about the castle trust. And it is a form of spendthrift trust, and it's designed to protect the inheritance for the for the child who's a beneficiary, protect it from creditors' claims, divorcing spouses, malpractice claims if they're in a profession where they can be sued if they make a mistake, all those kinds of things. That does not prevent the child who's a beneficiary from doing their own estate planning with their own assets. It's just that the parents may have done the planning for the inheritance for them so that uh, it protects the inheritance from creditors' claims. It's a very good, solid type of uh, estate planning practice. Not every attorney does that or knows how to do that. Uh, if, if it's something that you'd be interested in, that you want the inheritance you pass on to your children to be asset protected for them, then you need to ask, um, you definitely need to ask any attorney you go to, do you do asset protection planning for the inheritance for my children? Do you do asset protected trusts? Do you do generation skipping transfer trusts? That's another thing that they're called. Um, and, and if the attorney doesn't do that, or they don't know how to do that, then you should move on to an attorney who does if that's something that is important to you. So that's pretty straightforward right there. Now here's someone out of Los Angeles uh, said, I've just had a baby. No, not me. This is the person talking. I've just had a baby. My partner has written a will. However, it's just on blank paper and signed. Does a will written on blank pepper and signed, is that official? Uh, he doesn't think he has to go to a lawyer. Well, I'll tell you, without looking at this will, I can't tell you whether it's complete enough to be a will. But let's assume, assume it, he wrote on a piece of paper, I leave everything to, to Jane, and Jane happens to be the person asking me this question. I leave everything to Jane, and it's signed John Smith. Uh, maybe not dated, just signed. Now that right there is what's called a holographic will. It could be admitted to the court as a will as long as you can... No one challenges that he that he wrote it, challenges that that's his signature, challenges successfully, I should say. Then the court could accept that as being someone's will, even though it's written on blank paper and just signed. Um, it doesn't have to be done with all kinds of formality if it's all in the handwriting of the person that made the will. It's called holographic, meaning handwritten, uh, and that's pretty much um, the answer to that question. So we're coming up on the second break of the show today. When I come back, we'll continue with more questions and comments from around the state of California. We just have a little bit of time before the break there. So I just want to set up. If you'd like to give me a call, it's 800-516-1220. 
Very happy to talk with you on the air if you'd like to do that. Uh, otherwise, just stay after the commercial break, and uh, and we will, well, let's see here, yeah, and uh, we'll continue with more questions and comments from around the state of California. Now, back to Plan Your Estate Radio. Once again, your host, estate planning trust and probate law specialist, Attorney Bob Bergman. Well, hi, welcome back. I'm going to continue on with more questions and comments from around the state of California. Um, Some of these are actually pretty straightforward, but they bear repeating. You may have heard something like this before. You may have never heard of this before. And you might actually be surprised at what you hear. So uh, let me go ahead with this one right here. Um, here's someone asking, uh, how do I sell a house named in a living trust? It says, my mother died about nine years ago, and we're just now wanting to sell the house. What do we need to do? Okay. Well, what this sounds like to me is mom died nine years ago, and literally the family did nothing at all. Mom has a trust, presumably has the house in the trust, and the family didn't do any administration of the trust for the past nine years. Now, what that means is that um, one of the things that has to be done is the assessor in the county where the property is located was supposed to have been notified that mom died and also um, been given a preliminary uh, report what's called a notification of death of real property owner, uh, letting them know this person died, they own property, and here at least tentatively are the people that would be inheriting the property. And presumably if it's the children, there'd be no reassessment of the property taxes under current law. But it's been nine years, and uh, the first thing I tell these people is you have to get mom's name off the title of the property If she was the trustee, you have to do what's called an affidavit of change of trustee and attach a certified copy of mom's death certificate, and that should be prepared and signed by whoever is the successor trustee or trustees of mom's trust. That needs to be recorded. Once that's recorded, you now have the people that have the authority to actually put the property on the market and sell it. Uh, I'm not going to sit here and guarantee that you won't have some issues with the assessor in the county. They may, Some assessors may look and say, well, you were supposed to tell us all this nine years ago. And um, because it's been so long, it, it may be, uh, you, you may end up being reassessed. Uh, that's a possibility in some counties, even if it is a parent-to-child transfer, which is exempt from reassessment. Um, this is one of those things where I would, I would just say, why did you wait for nine years to do something about the house? I suspect that we have someone that was just living in the house with mom. Mom died, and they just kept on living in the house, which means it probably has no mortgage on it. 
some this person was just paying the property taxes and insurance and nobody was any the wiser that the house had really changed hands because of the death of the mother uh, by the terms of the living trust so but that's the first thing is you have to clear mom's name off of the title of the house in order to uh, now deal with the property because presumably mom's name is still on the title so here is um, out of San Diego someone wanting to know who they're required to notify when they're about to take some action re regarding a trust person said I'm the power of attorney agent for my father who has Alzheimer's and is living in a care facility for the last two years Prior to his diagnosis, my father placed his house in a revocable trust. I am co-trustee with one other family member on the trust. I need to sell my father's house to pay for his care. Now, I would pause right there and say, does the father is the father unable to qualify for Medi-Cal? Um, presumably, this is all in California, and um, and. His house in a trust is not an eligible asset for the purpose of determining uh, eligibility for Medi-Cal. Um, I don't know why the house would need to be sold to pay for his care unless they're doing private pay and they, they continue to want to do private payment to a nursing home and not rely on the Medi-Cal system to pay the bulk of the, of the care costs. So, um, so that's just as an aside to this question. And uh, but this person saying all proceeds would be deposited into an account owned by the trust with full transparency. Am I required by California law to notify the co-trustee of the sale or my intention to sell? Well, I would say that unless the trust appoints this person as the super trustee, who can act without the other trustee being involved, it's likely that they have to act together. Unless the trust says that either trustee can act independent of the other trustee. But I'll tell you this, regardless of what the trust says, if one trustee just goes ahead and sells the property, they're probably going to end up in a big fight with the other co-trustee who wasn't consulted and may not have even consented to this. So my advice to this person would be, if you think you need to sell this house, and I'm not so sure that you do, then you need to have the other co-trustee on board with that and, and involved with that, because it's also likely that both trustees are on the title of the house if it's in a revocable living trust, and now the father has Alzheimer's and is now incapacitated. If they haven't done that, it's similar to the issue I just talked about before, where it's been nine years since mom died, but apparently no steps were taken to administer the trust and put a new trustee on the title of the house. So uh, I would think that uh, you really are required to let the other co-trustee know what you're doing or plan to do because they are a co-trustee, not junior or subordinate trustee. And, and it would be kind of like if you're in a marriage and you co-own a property of some kind, one spouse can't really give away the property or sell it without the other one being involved in consenting. And it's a similar kind of thing when you have co-trustees on a trust.
Now here we go. This one here, this is a real mess. <laughs> and and I hesitate to even even raise it because it is a mess, but still this will give you an idea of some of the things that can happen. So here my mother claims she and my father never divorced and, uh, and they've been separated and never lived together again since 1967. That's a year before I arrived in California. That's a long time ago. So now my father's mentally incompetent in a dementia facility and somehow my mother has negated his living trust, created a new trust which includes her, then deeded the entire estate over to herself, eliminating me and my sister entirely. She then took out a $100,000 loan against the home. Wow. Okay, my, my first instinct here is to say this could be elder financial abuse. If they've been married over 50 years, I think it's a pretty good bet that the, that the father was at least 65 years of age, which would qualify as an elder, certainly. Um, these children need to report this. They need to go in there and find out how did someone cancel a living trust, create a new trust, and if a new trust was created with this with the mother in charge and then she basically just transferred everything out to herself that's embezzlement that that's actually um conversion embezzlement that's actually violative of the trust law and it probably is violative of the penal code meaning it's a criminal act to to basically steal somebody's property transfer it to yourself so uh this is a very very serious matter and it really needs to be addressed by the two children here the I guess brother and sister they need to address that in a very big way so here let's see my brother and I have many real estate properties all paid in full and we have bank accounts together he's about to get married but his fiance doesn't want to sign a prenuptial agreement that's an agreement signed ahead of marriage where where people outline what their rights are to the property that they're bringing into the marriage and maybe even property they acquire during the marriage. What legal documents can we do before marriage to preserve our properties in case of a divorce? Well, the first one would be to get that prenup. And I would, I would question if the fiancé doesn't want to sign a prenup, what is the motivation for refusing to sign the prenup? I'd be very, very nervous about that. Because the implication to me would be that the fiance is looking at getting his or her hands on, in this case, you know, maybe her, but it could be his, hands on the brother's property in a divorce. Um, certainly the brother can put his share of the property into a living trust and make it explicitly his and make sure he never does anything with that property except with the own money, his own money and money generated by the property never uses any money from the marriage to take care of the property but uh, beyond that there's not much else you can do if this fiance refuses to sign a prenuptial agreement okay we're coming up on the uh, third segment of the show today or excuse me, the fourth segment third break when i come back after the break i'll wrap up the show with some more questions and comments if you'd like to call in, it's 800-516-1220. That's 800-516-1220. 
This is estate planning attorney Bob Bergman, host of Land Your Estate Radio, and I'll see you on the other side of the break. This is Plan Your Estate Radio with San Jose estate planning attorney Bob Bergman on AM 1220 KDOW. Hi, welcome back. So I'm going to wrap up the show today with a few more questions and comments. Um, We'll start first with um, the the kind of situation I kind of call the shaggy dog story. I don't know how many of you out there understand what I mean by that reference. It may be that I'm just of an age where that means something, (laughs) and to many people it wouldn't. But essentially it's kind of a long, involved story. But in in this case, it's going to actually illustrate some, some pretty good points. So here's the situation. It says, my dad passed away almost two years ago from cancer. Right after his diagnosis, he shared his wishes that he wanted my sister and I to transfer his and mom's house to our names. These were his wishes because he was concerned that my brothers and their wives would take advantage of mom, drive her out of her own home, and take it over, especially since one of our brothers lives on the property with his wife already. There was no will prepared and we have no legal documents stating these were Dad's wishes, but we know this to be true, as we spent much of the last four months of Dad's life taking care of him. Besides, morally, my sister and I could never and would never do anything to hurt or take advantage of Mom. Is there anything we can do to protect Mom and her house and carry out Dad's wishes? Mom's still alive, and two of my brothers just recently talked to Mom and told her that Dad wanted her to sell the house and split the money between all of us children. Honestly, Mom is still grieving over the loss of my father, and I can't even believe I have to seek legal advice to keep her in her home. Well, I'll tell you what. um, I don't know that the thing to do is to have Mom transfer um, the home into the names of two of her children, Um, in order to make sure she's taken care of, uh, unless it was for the purpose of those two children turning right around and setting up a trust with mom as the beneficiary, putting the house into the trust and giving mom the right to live in the house um, for her lifetime and then the property going on However, the two children agreed that it should go on. But here here we have a situation where unless mom is put in touch with a well-versed, competent estate planning attorney who works just with mom to see what she wants to do with her property and how to protect it, one way to protect it would be for mom to be the trustee of a trust over the house and then have maybe these other two children be co-trustees so that they can make sure that no one can sneak in and get mom to just sign everything over or sell it unilaterally because they are on as co-trustees. I've used that uh, approach before when there was some concern, um, even some concern by a client 
that they would have a child that tried to manipulate them in the future. So they make sure and put the child that they trust on as a co-trustee with them and other provisions in there. Um, for example, a provision that says that no change can be made to the distribution provisions of the trust without the consent of all of the beneficiaries of the trust. That's another way to head that off, because clearly if there's a child or two that are looking out for the interests of the parent, uh, they're not going to consent to some kind of change in the distribution that was urged by some other child going to work and manipulating the parent into making the change because they have to agree to the change as well, and it's just not going to happen. So, yes, uh, regardless of what, there's no easy way out of this. That mom needs to be with an estate planning attorney. That attorney needs to meet just with mom to find out and not have anybody else involved in the meeting so, so that there can be no claims of undue influence or coercion or anything like that. Because I'll tell you, in my experience, if you have children that are willing to manipulate a parent while the parent's alive, they're the same ones that will run into court and complain if action was taken to protect the parent from them, um, <laughs> that, you know, once the parent has died. And they'll be the ones going in and complaining, oh, well, my brother and sister manipulated her mom and got her to do this trust that that had all these requirements and everything. When we know that the trust was done to protect the parent from the children that are trying to get the parent to do something that's not appropriate. That being said, this is where having a good, solid estate planning attorney that is well-known, well-respected, um, actually do the planning. Because really, having, having a very competent estate planning attorney do the planning that's one of the biggest ways I know of to head off any kind of challenge to a plant. Um, it, it, it's not realistic for an attorney to go after a plan prepared by a highly competent, well-known and respected attorney in the community because they know that attorney would not have prepared the plan in the first place if there was any doubt that the, per, that the client was incompetent or being unduly influenced. So uh, to me, that's almost the best insurance. Get a really good estate planning attorney to do the plan for you because it's not likely to ever be successfully challenged. So we're coming up on the end of the show. I hope you've enjoyed it. Um, we've got about a minute left. Uh, when I come back next week, there'll be more Plan Your Estate radio. In the meantime, you could still send me questions if you'd like at radio at lawbob.com. I'll be happy to take your questions. Just to repeat briefly, I'm not taking on new estate planning clients except by direct referral from existing clients uh, or other attorneys for that matter um, as of November 1st. So if you're interested in having me assist you, you need to contact me before November 1st. So until next week, this is attorney Bob Bergman, host of Plan Your Estate Radio. And I hope you have a great weekend. And take it away, American Millennium, by my friend, John Taylor.
You've been listening to Plan Your Estate Radio with estate planning attorney Bob Bergman. For more information on today's program or to schedule a consultation, visit lawbob.com. L-A-W-B-O-B, lawbob.com. Or call his office in San Jose, 408-247-0444. That's 408-247-0444. And be sure to tune in next week for more Plan Your Estate Radio with attorney Bob Bergman. Opinions expressed in the preceding program do not necessarily represent the views of the ownership, staff, or management of this station and are for informational purposes only and should not be construed to be legal, financial, or tax advice. Seek appropriate legal advice regarding your particular situation. Attorney Bob Bergman does not offer any guarantees with regard to the outcome of your legal matter. Prior results in other cases. Am I on track for retirement? When should I take Social Security?